Welcome to the How to Be Anything show, where we explore the work and careers we've always wondered about. I'm your host, James Walpole, and I'm excited to take you into other worlds of work and career. Let's get started. Really excited to put this out, um, finally. Uh, I recorded this episode, this first interview, back when the idea for the How to Do Anything show struck me in the early year of 2016. <laughs> so, this is one of those things where if you're a creator of any kind, you maybe know how I feel, where you create something and then you sit on it for a really, 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 really long time. Some combination of procrastination, uncertainty, fear, distraction. Anywho, I'm proud of this episode, proud of the interview. Even three years later, it doesn't make me cringe. Uh, really, it's mostly because of the great guests. So for this episode, all about enterprise sales and all about how to be a salesperson, but how not to be just sort of your stereotypical salesman. You know, everyone has this image in their minds of what it is like to be in sales. You know, the sleazy car salesman, the Alec Baldwin type from uh, the movie Glengarry Glen Ross, who's really hard driving and ruthless. And I think, and my guest thinks, I think, too, that sales is more complicated than that. It's a lot more about empathy. I really enjoyed interviewing Clay Nelson, the guest for today's show. He is a former coworker of mine and now works at GitHub uh, in their sales and business development department. Still works there now, uh, three plus years later uh, since recording this interview, and has had quite a lot of career evolutions and, and growth within the organization. I think you'll see why when you listen to this episode. So I hope you enjoy this dive into the uh, tools, tactics, process, strategy, mindset, and um, background of a person who works in enterprise sales in the modern tech world. So enjoy it. If you love GitHub, you'll love this episode. If you love sales, you'll love this episode. And whether and even if you're not into those things, I think you'll enjoy getting to know a really interesting person. Um, who can teach you a lot about business. So enjoy. So Clay, thanks for sitting down with me today. Uh, good to talk to you as always. I'm cheating a little bit on this episode because I know you and uh, <laughs> kind of wanted to make you one of the first guinea pigs for this podcast because I've had a chance to work with you at BitPay. Yep. And uh, watching you work, you know, I didn't, get to, I didn't really get to work directly work with you, um, but watching you work always kind of made me curious about what you do, which is you essentially sell technology to people, and all of your, and a lot of your jobs, basically, uh, you're doing something which is sort of a, a general career in sales, but you're yeah. really looking at specific applications to enterprises, <clears throat> large companies, and we kind of want to look at like what it's like to actually sell uh, in this industry to uh, talk about a product. Um, not the, the sexiest sounding thing, but definitely something which is extremely important and also kind of has its own... Uh, language and its own tactics. Um, so first, how do you describe what you do? Um, I probably didn't do the great best job of describing No, that's great. But, uh, so I, I mean, generally speaking, in, in complex sales, uh, the number one thing that you're doing is understanding the customer's problem, having empathy, uh, which is very different than traditional sales where you had a product, especially business to consumer sales, and your job is to go out and educate consumer and, and try to build need. Um, with, with technology sales and complex technology sales especially, um, it's about understanding the client's business environment, their climate, their strategy, and, and solving a problem that uh, is unique uh, in the way you solve it and the way uh, you engage with the client. Mm -hmm. So specifically with um, most of the time that I've been in sales, uh, my job is to understand the way the client is developing software and uh, position, uh, well now position GitHub as helping them retain and attract the kind of talent that is going to help them compete uh, in the world where software is eating the world, you know, to, to quote our uh, friend Mr. Andreessen. Yeah, it's awesome. I think that's especially why <coughs> what you're doing is so interesting because software is people so important and it's so, again, it's so different from a conventional product. And, and, and the other thing I think is that um, you have to be comfortable challenging status quo mm -hmm. and, and helping 
clients break out of you know their comfort zones. It's a good point. Technical debt is one of the terms that's used a lot in the software community, and when you're introducing an entirely new you know system or platform, it's I imagine that can be <laughs> quite difficult. So we'll definitely get into people how you get comfortable. <laughs> how you overcome those objections? Or, yeah. Um, so. Well, we'll definitely get into GitHub too. I'm really interested to ask you about that. But sure. what made you, I guess, sort of when you were when you were younger, or when you decided to go into sales, um, what was the motivating factor there? Um, well, you know, from a career standpoint, I kind of um, I, I had some sales experience. My father was in sales. I had some experience in college, uh, business to consumer sales. But I never really envisioned going into sales. It was um, one of those things that I found. Um, I started out in, uh, as a developer and uh, then moved into development management and found that I, I guess I had a, a knack for kind of being the bridge between business and technology and uh, that sort of kind of led me into technical sales, so sales engineering, and then ultimately found my, my way into you know, direct sales. But I didn't. I don't think I ever started out saying, "Hey, I'm going to go into technology sales." Right. Um, it just uh, kind of happened that way, and you know, very fortunately. Uh, but um, you know, I've always enjoyed telling stories, and so I, you know, I think I learned that it's the job of a professional salesperson to um, to you know use stories to help a client come to new understandings about their environment. Um, and uh, eventually, you know, change their mind, open their open their mind to new ideas, and then ultimately, hopefully, buy my solution. I want to touch on something you mentioned in your <coughs> actually in your first two answers here. So, do you think there's a problem with the category of sales, salesperson, as, as a distinct thing, like separate from something, or do you think it's something everyone does? It just depends I, on the context. I think everybody sells. I mean, you're no matter if you're an engineer, um, uh, it, really any role, you're either selling yourself or you're selling your ideas. And so um, there's a stigma, I think, to yeah. that word sales. Um, and we, you know, I definitely in, in the, for the folks that I sell to, uh, software engineers, uh, those folks are, you know, very traditionally uh, uh, suspect of, of anybody with that term uh, sales in their title. Mm. But yeah, I, I do believe that um, it's, these are skills that everybody needs. Uh, and it's you know starts with understanding psychology and understanding you know just people. So when you kind of started this started out and you, you, you said you got some early experience in college, what were some of the skills you didn't expect you'd have to learn? But you kind of were very important to that. And how did that maybe that early experience help with that? Yeah, I think I just probably said it. Actually, organizational psychology I think was really the thing because early on in your career you sometimes think that you, pre you prevent I mean you present facts. And data and that reason will kind of take over as you know the obvious solution that, that your product will win the day. That's how you know you envision it's going to happen. And then you begin to realize that most decisions, um, both personal and especially organizational, um, are rarely based on reason. They're um, all too often um, based on organizational politics, organizational values, the culture. Uh, there's a whole lot that goes into how organizations make decisions, and it's very rarely just present the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. You got to understand people's indivi individual drivers, their personal wins, and and then couch. You know, it's kind of navigating all of those things to position your product um, as a win for the individuals making the decision and a win and a win for the uh, organization. So, take it. People skills are pretty important in this. They are, but not um, not in the I think not in the sense of um, maybe the traditional Shake perspective. My hand, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the you know the it's hey, you know, it's good old you know um, the the guys that uh, kind of walk in and you, you just kind of feel like you need a shower after they yeah. leave because just you feel like they're trying too hard to like you know be your friend or yeah. something. And the, so in that sense, is people skills in the sense that you have empathy and that you're listening and that you. Uh, demonstrate that your your intentions are not just to you know get a signed purchase order. That your intentions are to help them solve their their problem. Are there any other kind of like personality traits or um, 
or focuses like that empathy that you, you're talking about that have helped you sort of succeed in this industry or, or maybe they drew you toward it? Well, I mean, I, I say this, you know, you, you have to like people, but I mean, um, and I don't necessarily think that you need to be the type of communicator that can stand on a stage and, and present and, and, you know, command a large audience, but that's something that I had always enjoyed um, doing theater and performing. and. Um, on stage, and so sales isn't necessarily that, but I, I feel like I, I do get a chance to like entertain and educate, and so that's probably one of the things that uh, you know really um, drew me to it. Um, but um, I think, you know, as I think I said before, empathy and, and understanding the client's business, I think, give you know give you an edge if you can communicate, and you know being. Uh, to large audiences, that's that's even better. But it's definitely not where most of the selling happens. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about sort of where you are now and, and what you do in a typical day. Tell us a little bit about GitHub and, and what GitHub offers and what you do with them. Uh, so GitHub is the place that the world develops software is sort of how we kind of think of it. And it's, it's really bringing the ideas of social networking to development. Uh, in a concept we call social coding, yeah. um, and you know you've seen it firsthand, uh, where you, you've got people all over the world that you don't even necessarily know these folks, and they're contributing to to your projects. Uh, it's it's really kind of fascinating to to see people that you know code all day at work and then they go home at, at night and and keep coding on things that they're passionate about, and so GitHub is is a it's a company that that fosters those that environment and then teaches folks sort of the virtues and benefits of uh, open development and, mm -hmm. and not just open source but open development and um, you know it's really cool to be a part of that. What are some of the benefits of open development? You mentioned obviously kind of building that record <clears throat> of showing your work and uh, well, we like to think uh, it, that uh, we mentioned technical debt earlier that the the issues are much more shallow when you've got a large population of people that are contributing. So um, there's when we say open development, it's that, you know, yes, the source code is open to view, but it's also open for you to contribute to and for you to uh, see what, what's being worked on, for you to be able to see what issues and ideas that other users and other developers uh, have. So it speeds innovation. Um, both on uh, you know, personal projects as well as, uh, as increasingly on business projects. Um, I mean, SAP and Apple and Microsoft all have uh, large projects that they've open sourced and, and it's on GitHub. So uh, it, it's, it's not just you know, garage uh, coding and it's, it's, it's a phenomenon that I think large enterprises uh, who have grown up in the software business have, have adopted, but increasingly it's more or less traditional companies that you would think of. Retailers, uh, obviously, uh, you know, companies with embedded uh, software and, and automobiles and things like that are increasingly becoming software companies. Amazing. So, um, what do you do? It's sort of I, obviously, you know, you kind of just gave us an example of there of selling it really well and explaining what GitHub does and what the, what the value proposition is, but. On a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, you're very new. I'm kind of, I'm kind of throwing you a hard sure. one here. You know, you started, you started about six weeks ago, and uh, this is a January, end of January, early February, 2016. Um, but you're getting to the swing of things now. You've used GitHub for a long time. Yeah, um, and, and um, I, you know, I spent a better part of 14 years with IBM Rational, which had, um, in many ways, a similar mission and uh, upbringing to GitHub. Uh, but simply uh, did not have uh, you know, the, the network and the reach and, and didn't start out with the same kind of business model. So I've been in this business of, of talking to and uh, working with developers and people involved in the business process of software development for a long time. But yes, I, GitHub is, is, is rel relatively new. So I, you know, I, when I, I uh, spend, I think, a good bit of my time uh, reading and educating myself on trends, understanding how we integrate with other tools that people are using in the market, um, and you know, trying to educate and share uh, with my clients and prospects um, what other 
companies in their uh, industry uh, or similar businesses are doing. And when you bring those practices and you educate um, and you do so again with the right intention, I think um, uh, people are much more likely to you know, have you back. Um, if you just show up and, and you're only interested in talking about your products, um, you know, they, they, people can find that information online uh, much more so than they used to. So um, I spend a lot of my time uh, analyzing and, and trying to uh, uh, put uh, what I know from my experience uh, into some sort of framework that I can share with my clients. Yeah, that actually leads me to another question. And again, I think, I think you have a great idea there, sort of looking at the, uh, the big picture of the entirety of your career, looking at the commonalities there and seeing what's been really helpful for you there. So how do you prepare for a client meeting? When you go in, um, you mentioned that you, know, you really want to be focused on the, on the customer's needs, the customer's situation. Um, and like I said, you're doing a lot of research, but how do you make that sort of about the client, what does that look like um, when you're trying to get some of the yes? So um, just last week, a colleague here at, at GitHub observed me putting together information and plugging it into mind mapping software and said it looked like a, a crime scene investigation. <laughs> so I mean, I'm a visual thinker, and uh, I, so I put as much information as I can about the industry, the client, the people I'm meeting with, preliminary conversations, uh, content from news feeds and Twitter, and whatever I'm assemble to kind of uh, form a cogent message that you know people are bombarded with you know, requests every day, especially as you're talking to uh, high-level IT executives. And so you've got to you've got to demonstrate what it's like to work with you in a very short period of time, and you do that by not just blanket <clears throat> throwing your information out there and seeing what sticks, but rather spending the time to understand the client's issues and, and position your offering against what's already important to them. And um, I think that that gets you at least a much better shot of getting a conversation and hopefully a meeting um, because it demonstrates you're truly interested in, in their, their company and not just you know, selling your product. So a lot of work comes in, you know, right, right at the moment of sort of pitching the meeting and sort of getting them to, uh, you know, to engage in conversation with you. So, do you have any tips or anything you found, any best practices you found you found helpful? You know, everyone gets emails from marketers, everyone who yeah. works in a business, <laughs> really. <clears throat> so, getting in among all that noise, having signal among all that noise is really hard. How do you? You say you, you know, obviously research comes a bit comes into play. Any other uh, any other tips? Uh, I mean, being in this business for a while it does help that I have a pretty extensive network and so to the extent that you can uh, leverage that and get introductions even if it's a you know uh, just a quick email at least you, you're not just somebody else coming in out right. of the blue uh, you can't overstate how important that is but even with that um, uh, there's just no substitute for understanding as much as you can uh, to pique the client's interest, you can't you can't know their environment, you can't know all their problems unless there's a you know a large uh, public uh, issue, you know security breach or something like that that has uh, uh, already created uh, a big problem that you know that you can go in and help with. Um, for the most part, you gotta you gotta get that meeting, you gotta have some conversations to listen before you can really say, okay, this is how we can help you. You kind of have a what I call a value hypothesis, and the best you can do is, is throw that out there um, with some level of regularity, with some level of research. I, I call it sort of a presentation layer on top of uh, your, your standard pitch, but um, whatever you can do to shorten the gap between the client understanding what it is you do and understanding their problems, you know, better off you are. So you mentioned having a presentation layer is there any like value to actually going and providing some value up front, like when you reach out to someone? Do you do anything in sort of in that way to like say, "Hey, we've identified this way you could do you could do something better," or uh, here's a you know here's a, a slide deck showing what specifically your, your company could do to improve in the X measurement? Well, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. So um, several, probably maybe three or four years ago, when uh, the Affordable Health Care Act was was being rolled out. Uh, large hospitals and healthcare insurers had to uh, uh, 
provide evidence of what was called meaningful use of uh, uh, these record systems, so they needed to be able to demonstrate that they were really using this technology. Um, and so the software that I was selling didn't directly uh, have a, an impact on that, but it was something that I could explain what we did using that as, a, as an analogy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so sort of developed a one-page position paper uh, that, that really was just that, it was a one-pager. Uh, that that put uh, our offering in a language that that particular client could understand because of, it was something they were dealing with, um, and it you know that works because things like that gets get circulated around and you know ultimately you get the meeting and uh, and build on that. What's the least effective way to go into a meeting? Least effective way to hold a meeting with the client? Uh, least effective. Um, I think it's when you start with the perspective of I already know the solution um, is probably the, the the biggest issue um, in in least in, in meetings that wind up not really being all that effective. Um, uh, I don't like to do product demos, for instance. I mean, ultimately, sometimes we have to, but I definitely don't like to walk in and very first thing start doing a. Uh, product demo uh, because you don't really know what problem you're solving yet and uh, you're just kind of guessing so any any meeting in my opinion that uh, you show up where you haven't done at least some preliminary uh, conversations uh, narrowed down to specific parts of your solution are, are going to wind up just being fishing expedition. Mm -hmm. So you hear a lot in the popular literature on sales, which I imagine a lot of people who are listening to this have already read a little bit. That's why they're probably listening. Um, that, uh, that listening is a very important part of you know an effective meeting. Is that would you say that's true? That you would want to be doing most of the listening and letting the client do most of the. Time? I mean, I, if I am talking more than half the time in a in a meeting, I think uh, I've done something wrong. Yeah, I'll start getting nervous. Yeah, um, it's uh, you can't overemphasize the role of uh, not just listening but active listening um, and the distinction being that you're you're not just taking notes but you're engaging in a conversation saying okay you know James what I'm hearing you say you know it, some some folks think those methods are a little bit hokey but um, it's you know there's a lot of research that shows that uh, uh, you have a sneezing person in the background, or else some metal chairs moving I around? think some metal chairs. The uh, looks like the cleaning crew is uh, straightening up out there. We're in a we're in a really excellent startup community space, by the <laughs> way. It's uh, you know perfect for this kind of conversation, but uh, not so much for the silence. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, forgot which were, were our question. We're talking about sort of the methods of conversation, oh, like yes. repeating back to the person, yeah. sort of what they have to say. It's kind of getting to that point of mutual agreement. Um, there's a re lot of research that indicates that you know when you, for instance, use somebody's name and you know they perk up and, and so I know, did just I did exactly. just a second ago. Yeah. I mean, it works. <laughs> you can't and, see this. Yeah, uh, but you know to say okay, James, here's what I'm hearing you say, and then uh, reciting it, it gives them another opportunity also to uh, clarify, uh, maybe even you know provide more information. Than, uh, than your preliminary discussion did. So uh, I think that kind of talking is still listening. And um, uh, people sometimes aren't very comfortable, uh, when you're, especially when you're first meeting, uh, sharing all the dirty laundry. And uh, so the more you can do to you know, ferret that out um, with methods, uh, you know, helps. So with business software, after the initial you know, initial meeting, um, what does the sales pipeline look like? And sort of what are the, uh, what are the steps for you for what you say apply to most um, products of this kind? Well, I can say, so I mean, just in terms of standard rules uh, of thumb, most sales managers will tell you, okay, you know, here's how much you, software you need to sell this year, your quota. Uh, you need four times that in, in deals. Um, because 
at, at best your yield is going to be you know 20 percent maybe of, of what you have out there or you know people's timing is not going to be what you know uh, you expect it to be so you've, you've got to have a lot of, of opportunities in, in your pipeline uh, in, in order to ensure that you've got a healthy book of business in a sort of a rolling uh, quarter to quarter. Um, but um, for, for me, the process, um, and I think this is also something that uh, is a important lesson that I learned early on, was the distinction between uh, you know, the selling process and the buying process. And um, they're not always very congruent. And traditional sales methodologies and traditional sales education, a lot of times focused, is very much focused on the steps the seller goes through. And sort of a modern, contemporary approach is to flip that and, and interject your role uh, as the seller into the buyer's process. And, um, you know, your process doesn't matter. What matters is their process. Um, and I think that's, that idea is still catching on uh, in, in many organizations that have, you know, been selling a certain way for years. Interesting, interesting. So it's, it's actually some uh, some little bit of contrarian advice coming from you, and we definitely want to dive a little bit more into your other contrarian advice. Um, <laughs> right now, let's, let's look at some more of the general um, general questions. Questions I'd like to ask all the guests uh, on this show um, about sort of the daily practices and the and the the ways you go about being effective in your job. So focus is a big thing. Um, definitely in sales, it's a very uh, Externally focused, very uh, a lot of incoming, a lot of outgoing. How do you maintain focus in um, and move toward your goals, you know, steadily when you have a lot of a lot of emails to send out, a lot of meetings to go through, things which are typically, you know, uh, typically can be derailing. Uh, James, you're assuming that I maintain focus. But, uh, <laughs> That's <is> true. <laughs> You've done okay um, so far. Yeah. You haven't been chasing dogs or anything. Uh, I, you know, I think. Um, the key is to make sure that you believe in what you're doing. Um, and I've definitely had times in my selling career where I had kind of lost sight of the why. You know, why is it that I'm in this business? And I think um, uh, you know, that's either as an individual or, or as a company, you have to know what that why is, and, and that drives your focus. And Simon Sinek's book uh, is um, probably worth the read here for a lot of uh, details on that idea but start with why mm -hmm. is the name of that book so I think as long as you wake up and you remember that why um, it instructs your attitude which then instructs your behavior and then um, on those days when that doesn't work um, you just kind of hope that the uh, you, you get into the behavior and that will reinforce the attitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm also a firm believer just in terms of daily routines. That's one of the things I like about um, sales is that, you know, you gotta take time out, you gotta go, you know, walk around the block. You, you know, it's anything to keep your creativity up because um, when you're dealing, I think in complex technology sales, you know, yeah, everybody needs to work hard and you got to, you know, send out emails and you got to be talking to customers in order to sell something. But um, it's not just about numbers. It's about uh, the quality of the message and the quality of engagement. And I think, you know, it's easy to get burned out if you're so focused on the numbers. Very nice. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, the routine or the behavior enforces sort of the attitude of knowing what your why is. Um, so I'm curious, in, in sales, um, is there ever a moment when you feel like you're in the flow? Like you're, if, if you know what I'm talking about, like the state of flow where you're just like, oh man, I'm going to keep going on this all night long. <laughs> like, what is that moment for you? Um, so the, and I love that idea because this is actually um, a research area that I've uh, kind of taken on for um, several years is this idea of flow really? and, and optimal experience um, which you know uh, there's a whole a lot of organizational psychology that uh, focuses on this is that that's where you get the most productivity uh, is when you, uh, you you design a role and you find the right people to fit in that role that 
and then you remove the barriers to letting them, you know, find their optimal experience. And that's kind of what we, you know, do at, at GitHub is, is with developers is let let developers get into that flow. And it's not just a flow in the sense of, uh, you know, GitHub has a flow, which is, you know, how do you check in code and so forth, but flow in the sense that you mean it, which is you lose track of time. Mm-hmm. You're so engaged in your work that you, you just lose track. And, and I think for me, um, that um, when I'm digging in through notes, preparing to you know, craft a message for a client that I've not really engaged, uh, that's probably where I get uh, you know, the most satisfaction is prepping for that, that message and then delivering it. But um, uh, I can get lost in, in that. Like, like you would in the state of yeah. flow, right? Yeah. So you're in the state of flow right now. Perfect. Uh, makes you feel good about this podcast. <laughs> um, what one tool or like, you know, tool or app or whatever you want to, whatever you want to label it has contributed the most to your, um, to your job across multiple, multiple different uh, employers, would you say? I, um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a visual thinker. So uh, mind mapping software is probably the uh, software that, to me is a, a tool that is ultimately a thinking tool um, that helps me make connections across uh, concepts, across organ- uh, you know, boundaries of ideas that I may not <clears throat> see if you're kind of just writing notes linearly. So um, uh, mind, I use um, uh, MindJet's Mind, Map Mapper, uh, Mind Manager, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. for, is the uh, software that I use. Um, if I had, if I got a second one, I'd probably say Evernote, and, and just the idea of being able to capture anything anywhere, have it in the cloud, and, and have it accessible from multiple devices. That has kind of changed um, the way I work dramatically. Because um, uh, before I would, I'd have, if you're one of the type of people that makes connections across. Okay, here's what's going on in this account, and here's what's happening over there in this technology, and here's what's happening. Um, in, with our product development, and those things are all in, in files or emails, it's very difficult to draw the connection between all of those things. And when you had before the, the cloud, you know, I'd have some stuff on my laptop, some stuff in a, uh, a moleskin notebook, and I didn't, ha- I didn't have all those things connected. <laughs> the but now, times, yeah. I can't remember them anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, I was probably ten. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, Salesforce, LinkedIn, all those things have uh, you know are are pretty uh, self-explanatory uh, in terms of their role uh, in helping sellers. But uh, again, for me, um, those are yeah, they're productivity tools. But everything starts with the idea, uh, and everything starts with how you how much you know about your client. Mm. So the mind map sort of the meta tool for all the different tools, like like the CRMs you use, yeah. the uh, Evernote. What exactly is a mind map? Explain a little bit more of sort of like what that looks like in terms of uh, well, it's how sort it of works. like a uh, a spider web, really. I mean, you you start with a, a central node, and you know, for me, it, maybe it's an account, and then I branch out, and here's here's all the news that's happening with that account, and here's the key contacts is another branch, and and then um, here's the uh, uh, products that they have and the markets that they serve, and each one of those things becomes a branch, and and you just continue to branch out on on those nodes, and then the real power comes when you begin to start linking things together. So you visually drawing a connection between this node uh, over to another, uh, and, and begin to say, ah, that's something that you know might be of interest. Very interesting. So your job um, takes you on the road a lot, um, especially in the past few weeks for GitHub. You've been yeah. flying out to California a lot, as you said, um, where they're based. Uh, and we're, we're podcasting from Atlanta here, so a little bit of a trip. Um, how do you stay productive during that time? Because that's a big challenge, I know, for a lot of people who uh, Scotch. Um, Scotch? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I had, I've been a uh, mobile employee uh, since probably 2001, with a few exceptions. So I, I think I've kind of grown accustomed to being able to work anywhere um, what you know I think a lot of people are especially in, in sales these days um, and, and uh, my my connected devices are just as, as I was saying the cloud and my beloved Mac here um, I think those are the the tools that have, have made it easier uh, you know to be productive wherever I am um, and I you know 
I do think back to like what it was like, you know, ten years ago before some of these things, and like I don't know how I got anything done. Mm -hmm. But um, it's 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 nice to have have those uh, things. It just makes it easier to uh, be wherever. How else has uh, complex sales technology sales changed? Would you say probably in the, maybe the past ten years? Um, I think the the role of uh, broadband uh, has made uh, you know real time video so much more uh, uh, available. When I first started at Rational, uh, we would go in and teach uh, lots of lunch and learns on software best practices. So mm -hmm. here's how here's how this company is gathering and managing software requirements, and uh, or here's how a company is is documenting their their designs and managing their code. And organizations up until that point really didn't have uh, any other way of getting that information. That was free webinars. I get all these webinars really all the time. They're yeah. just like that. But like people have to do them in person. Absolutely. It's so I mean, Sorry. we knocked <laughs> on doors, and 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 that's so that was one of the I think the the draw. So now with webinars, um, uh, you know, people don't have to leave their their desk to learn some something new. But it also is um, sort of the attention economy in that there's so much out there now. Um, we're, it's almost kind of starting to shift back a little right. bit. Where diminishing uh, returns. Yeah. So you've got you know there's a lot of noise out there, and so I think the opportunity for professional salespeople is you got to know where those resources are because you can still um, you know it may be that it's good to point a client to something like that and gauge their level of interest. Um, if they if they watch the hour long webinar and, and, and want to talk to you more, then you know they, they probably have a legitimate problem they're interested in solving. Um, but there's definitely I think a swing back to um, uh, wanting to to have more face to face meetings. Interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Things seem to go go in cycles, they do. especially in technology. I mean, Absolutely. So, what advice I guess would you would you give to yourself ten years ago if you if you could? The old time travel um, question. Um, geez, uh, does it have to be like general life? I mean, yeah, very yeah. broad. <laughs> you could do that too. Actually, I'd be, glad, I'd be interested in hearing. But um, especially sort of related to your work, um, is there anything you, you know you wish you had spotted like that, like that trend toward um, toward mobile and digital? Um, I, you know, I think I would probably remind myself. Uh, how important it is to write, um, because uh, I probably ten years ago I, I was doing a lot more writing and publishing, um, which I think uh, you know helped me not just uh, clarify my own uh, ideas about the technology, but uh, it's now what we call content marketing. Sure. And um, I, I kind of maybe got out of the habit of that. Uh, you know, life happened and kids and so forth, so it, it became a lot harder to, uh, you know, spend time at night writing uh, and, and reading. But I would have, I'd probably have advised uh, 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 Clay ten years ago to keep keep doing that every day. Yeah, that's one of the pieces of advice I pieces of advice I hear you know really the most often. The market, no matter what the industry is, it's being able to create something and writing is something every you know everyone can learn to do fairly fairly. Well, not fairly easily, but um, it's a tool we all have to express those ideas and get. Well, it's a tool for many people to formulate their ideas. Um, I mean, even if you're not, you know, sharing this writing, it's it's. I think it's a good method for just thinking on paper. Yeah, it's a good point. No, there's an author, um, Stephen Pressfield. He writes in a book called The War of Art, which is a great book on creativity. That once you start doing the work, it's sort of like a. Uh, a Lightning rod for ideas, like you know, you're because you know you have to do the work. Like, like you know, you're going to sit down and, and, and start writing. Mm -hmm. um, you're way more attuned to ideas, way more attuned to the outside world. So it's really interesting. You have to have sort of a, a, a mental model that um, writing, I think, helps you. Uh, you know, when you're if you're just flipping through the news or you know reading a news feed or looking at uh, you know link, your LinkedIn daily profile, unless you have some sort of a uh, mental framework or mental model to put information into, then it's just noise. Um, and I think the only way you can develop that mental model is 
is to continue to write and continue to refine it. So going back to sort of the advice thing, one other question I would ask. Um, there's a lot of advice out there in the blogosphere because of all the content marketing going on, everyone's mm -hmm. sharing their advice. I'm guilty of this. Uh, it's essentially what we're doing with the podcast in a lot of respects. Um, but uh, there's always there's like one or two pieces of advice which are super popular that everyone kind of has a, like everyone has those one or two pieces of popular advice they kind of have a problem with if they're you know if they're thinking sure. about that. So I'd be interested in hearing are there are there any in sales that you um, that you find to be completely wrong or that you find to, like they really bother or you think that you think maybe you're misunderstood. Well, I mean, I think there's. Uh the conventional wisdom that you walk into a, a client's office and you know your objective is to you know quickly form you know some sort of bond and relationship <laughs> and so you you know how are the kids exactly how's has the kids you know how's your golf game you know how about those uh, bulldogs you know th I you know some I, those things to me I think are a little bit um, uh, worn out methods and a little bit hackneyed tricks and I think, um, you know, if you're into golf and the client's into golf, awesome, you can, you can have that. But don't, you know, if you haven't played golf in five years and you know that it, it just comes across, I think, as uh, a little bit self-serving. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing is, is to be authentic um, and, you know, be warm, uh, but, it, but be authentic. So what's one thing you wish you had known about, about sales? I mean, you, you, you've drawn on a lot of experiences here in this conversation, but what's one thing you wish you knew when you started out? A little bit further back than maybe 10 years, but not too far back, like you know, 12 years. Well, I, um, and I maybe have alluded to it, but um, the notion that really good sellers are good consultants, that's what a good seller is. Yeah. And a, a good consultant is somebody that understands um, Organizational change understands, you know, management consulting, uh, and understands how to uh, not just position your offering inside of the, the client's organization, but um, is concerned enough for the client that you're willing to walk away um, if there's not a fit. Um, and I think that's, you know, actually back to the other uh, your previous question. I think also. Uh, same replies is that conventional wisdom is just you know keep plugging along and keep you know trying to convince and persuade and cajole and I, I think um, you're better off um, you know when you recognize there's not a fit say it early um, and one of uh, the sales training that I learned early on um, was uh, from Franklin Covey and it was called uh, Let's Get Real uh, by Mahan Khalsa and in that uh, book and there's been a lot of other uh, studies on sales uh, training and sales management since this that I think validate the notion that the best sellers find a way to get to know faster rather than convince people to say yes uh, in the, the, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the idea is that there's plenty of places out there that, that probably the timing is right, that have the right need for your solution. Um, don't spend all your time trying to convince uh, an organization that, that they need it. Um, you know, that's, that's the ideal. Um, but um, I think to you know, loop back around, I definitely probably had the same negative connotations of, of sellers that uh, because I had seen that were you know uh, not real uh, professional um, or I think there was a commercial not too many years ago on TV uh, where the sales guy walks in and so how many licenses would you like today you know and I think that instructed <laughs> sort of this uh, Perspective of what you know professional software sellers are, and, wow. and um, <laughs> uh, so it had that you know negative uh, feel to it, and and so early on I probably uh, shied away from it, 
um, but you know because of those perceptions. Yeah. What, what do you think is the biggest fear then? I mean, like that's a that's a really interesting one, and I imagine that probably holds a lot of people back. Do you think that's one of the big fears that holds people back from being successful in sales or from ever you know really going for it? I that and um, either their, their experience as um, you know a potential customer turned them off, or you know unfortunately there's still a lot of um, organizations. Uh, I've uh, been around some of them uh, where they the sales management still has a very uh, uh, mid 20th century mentality of, of you know how to how to run a sales organization and you know that might work when you're selling copiers or uh, you know something you know, not to bang up on copiers but you know, <laughs> something that something that is a very defined product um, is a lot easier to sell than something that is um, is uh, nebulous and abstract to software. Easy to understand than GitHub, in a sense. Yeah. But GitHub is very simple to understand yeah. also. Um, we're thinking about sort of the mid-20th century yeah. uh, customer audience here. So to close a little bit, um, looking at some big big picture sort of philosophical questions about your work, because you know we like to get philosophical. Sure. We smoke our pipes, we <laughs> wear our monocles, because philosophers wear monocles. Absolutely. I believe. Um, do you love your work, and do you think it's important to love your work? You know, just from a, a, a big picture career perspective. I mean, you've been at this for some time, and you've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, is that an important part of, of feeling engaged in a, in, a, in a job? Right now, I definitely do. I love GitHub. Um, I, you know, I've only been here a few weeks, uh, but um, it was one of those where I very quickly knew that this was the right right place for me because it was very similar to uh, early days of Rational. But I love the mission, I love the values um, and the work, uh, working for a company that's, I think, become so instrumental to, to so many people worldwide. That makes it, you know, a lot easier to enjoy the work. Um, but, uh, that, you know, that matters. It, it makes it easier if you're working in a company that, that um, you, you love the work. Because I've definitely been doing similar software sales before and not enjoyed it as much. Yeah. So you know, doing it in, a, in an organization that reinforces it in an environment, I think matters significantly. Um, but uh, I also alluded to this earlier when we were talking about attitude, uh, I think is do you believe in what you're doing? And um, when I one of I was learning sales back in um, early days of college as a side job and uh, I remember reading Zig Ziglar uh, who was uh, Sort of the Tony Robbins of my dad's generation, uh, sales. Tony Robbins, sales I think, is the Tony leadership. Robbins of yeah. my dad's <laughs> yes, generation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, he had a quote that still stuck with me uh, all these years, and that was, uh, "You can't be one kind of person and another kind of salesperson." Um, and, I, and I take that to also mean that that um, if you don't believe, you aren't credible. And, and so do yourself and your employer a favor. If you don't believe in what you're selling, go find something that you believe in. Yeah. Any advice on sort of getting out of, getting out of a bad situation or a place where you don't feel like you're doing what you believe in? Well, I mean, I would say first step is look around inside the organization. I mean, and sometimes it's, it's merely um, you've got a bad manager or um, uh, there's other, other parts of the organization that are doing things you know, differently. Um, no reason to you know rush out immediately, but I think you probably know. Um, and um, uh, you know, use your network and find you know find places that uh, your friends are you know love and build a value proposition to go there. So we'll wrap up here with the last two questions. Sure. But, uh, what's one action listeners can take right now? You know, if, if you're like, let's let's assume the audience is basically like me. You know, like young person. Uh, late teens, early 20s, looking at a career in complex sales and technology sales. Um, what's one thing they can go out and do right now to concretely prepare themselves for, for this line of work instead of just aspiring to be Sure. Um, you can't be, uh, you, you can't uh, overemphasize the role that um, a good foundation in, in concepts uh, plays. I, I would I'd recommend people go out and read um, Peter Block's Flawless Consulting. Um, again, you start with that mindset of what's a consultant. If you want to be a, you know, a high-level executive seller, 
and that you know everybody says consultative solution selling is what you need to do. Well, then what's a good consultant? And I think Peter Block's book uh, is is a great starting place for that. I mentioned the other um, let's get real uh, or let's not play uh, Franklin Covey book uh, with Mahan Kulsa. Um I also mentioned Simon Sinek uh, start with why, um, and then. Somebody that has kind of challenged my thinking on almost everything is uh, Nassim Tlaib, um, uh, Fooled by Randomness. Uh, the, the importance of reading a book like that, um, to me, helps you look through and beyond, uh, frankly, the, the crap studies and conventional <laughs> wisdom that <laughs> that uh, you, you might read out there because uh, it, Fool by Randomness, Black Swan, I think those are you know, just from a uh, life philosophy, uh, uh, how to in interpret events, um, I think is, is eye-opening. Interesting, interesting. Should they, which, which one should they read first? Uh, honestly, I would read Fool by Randomness first because then everything else, uh, everything else, is put into perspective because <laughs> even then you read the flawless consulting you go yeah but that's probably only about 20 percent true so <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap up um where can people find your work online you said you mentioned that you, you write maybe not as often as anymore and where can they also you know learn more about github how to get started as a user if they're a company sure you know, how to, uh well i mean so i'm on on linkedin of course uh and i've got some of my old publications uh, i am actually working on um uh, some new articles on flow, uh, which really? is really interesting that you mentioned that, um, because I think it's um, what we want to focus on at GitHub is the idea of developer happiness. Uh, you know, if if the world is becoming more dependent on software, and and you know, software developers are a scarce resource, uh, your organization needs to make sure that they're the ones you have and the ones you want to attract are, are happy. Not just you know happy with their work, but they're fulfilled, and that's that's uh, something that GitHub is focused on. So you can go out on GitHub.com, of course, and, and uh, find out more about about us. But uh, hopefully, uh, on my LinkedIn profile, I'll have some some new ideas on uh, on, on those on Flow uh, coming shortly. All right, you heard the man. Go do it. Go yeah. sign up for a GitHub account. Go uh, go learn about Clay, but also um, get out of the aspiring mode and start uh, taking some real steps toward. Uh, your goals and sales and hopefully this is helpful for you so thanks so much clay it was I, really a blast it was fun james i appreciate it all right thanks for listening to the show you can find all of our archives at howtobeanythingshow.com or anchor.fm slash howtobeanything If there's someone else you think i should interview for this show send me a tweet at, at james l walpole on twitter and I hope you'll take these interviews and explore your own curiosities in the world of work.